was actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absence in body, I am present in spirit. And if present, I have already announced pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since you would need to go out of this world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is, in an, is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what I have to do with judging outsiders, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Churches are often hit with scandals. You know what it looks like. You've seen it on TV, you've read about it in newspapers. It's not unusual, unfortunately, for some well-known pastor, some well-known church evangelist, someone who is constantly on the TV or on radio, to be found out to be in the midst of a scandal. When that happens, almost in every case there has been an effort somewhere along the way to sweep that under the carpet. Sometimes the scandal, scandalous activity has gone on for a long period of time and is now, only now, coming to light. You know, when that happens, you say, well, that doesn't affect me, that doesn't affect my church. You're wrong. Anytime there is a church scandal, it affects all of us. It makes it harder for us to do the work of the Lord because our reputation has been damaged along with his or her reputation. Scandals have to be dealt with and they need to be dealt with in a biblical fashion. The church at Corinth was not only divided, it was disgraced because there was a public scandal going on and 
I, I told the Sunday school class this morning, my, my study group, that I was going to be talking about church discipline this morning. Be honest, how long has it been since you heard a Sunday morning sermon about church discipline? Think about it. It's not popular preaching. And I'll admit it's not pleasant preaching. It is not what I would have chosen today. But I said I would be preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. Tim, if you're going to preach through 1 Corinthians, you've got to preach chapter 5. And the truth is, it is a very necessary message because scandals have to be dealt with. Now, understand, we're not just talking about a sinner in church. I want you to understand very clearly this morning that nobody comes to Faith Baptist Church except sinners. I wondered if I'd get a single amen over that. Thank you, Roger. Nobody attends this church except sinners, and if you're not a sinner, friend, you're in the wrong place this morning. Somebody says, well, that church must be full of hypocrites. Well, that's all right. We've got room for one more. You come join us, okay? We're all sinners saved by grace, forgiven. We're not talking about somebody sinned and we're going to judge them because they sinned. We're not talking about, by the way, this is different. Chapter 5 is different from chapter 4. In chapter 4, Paul was saying, you have no right to judge me about how I'm carrying out my ministry because I'm responsible for to God for how I carry out my ministry. We're not talking about just performance and judging somebody about performance. Man, we're talking about a scandal. You get that? We're talking about a dirty, rotten, stinking sin that the whole world knows about, that everybody around us knows about, and we're laughing about it and doing nothing about it. I'm not saying that's the case here. I'm saying that's the case that was going on at Corinth. It was a scandal. And 1 Corinthians chapter 5 gives us lessons about how to handle a scandal in church. Well, first of all, how, how do you handle a scandal? You recognize the scandal. You see, not every sin is scandalous. But when it is, you need to recognize that that is the case. You need to recognize this is not ordinary life. This is not something that's acceptable. This is something that is damaging to the church as a whole and is affecting, therefore, every member of the church. I've already said we're all sinners, but listen, we're not all scandalous with our sin. And again, it's not contradictory to chapter 4. It's not, this is not being judgmental more than we should be judgmental. This is protecting the church from a scandal. So how do you recognize a scandal? How do you know a scandal when you see it? Well, for one thing, this sin was absolutely revolting. This was a sexual sin. It was a public scandal. It was something people were talking about. He said there is sexual immorality among you of a kind, get this, 
that's not even tolerated among the pagans. Here's the sin. Here's the scandal. A man has his father's wife. Now what that means is he was not sleeping with his mother. He was having an affair, living with, in a sexual union, with his stepmother, with the woman that his father had married. He had taken his father's wife away from him and was living with her and people were laughing about it. They were not dealing with it properly. They were arrogant about it. They were not recognizing the sin. By the way, we have a tendency, and I, I think this is something that has been borne out to me in reading through the Bible so many times over the past dozen years, is that we focus on minor sins, eating and drinking and, you know, long hair, short dresses. You, some of you remember the days when, when that was all the preacher had to preach about. Didn't have the Bible to preach about. All he preached about was, you know, those kinds of things. We're not talking about legalism. This was a sexual sin, and sexual sin in the Bible is second only to idolatry. When you look at the Old Testament law, sexual sins are high on the list of the things that are odious to God. We like to focus on things that are not really important. God focuses on what is truly important. And this is a sin that was clearly prescribed. That is, it was wrong according to the Bible. Not only was it a sin that was odious to God, he says very clearly, clearly, even lost cultures, even Gentiles who, who don't believe the Bible, even people who are lawless don't allow things like this to happen. This sin was revolting. This is not some run-of-the-mill sin like most of us do and, and confess and repent. This is a serious matter that is a shame and a scandal for the church. And you can't sweep those kind of things under the carpet. You have to recognize them. You ha they have to be confronted. They have to be dealt with. Not only that, but this sin was well known. This is not a private sin that happened in someone's home and nobody knew about it. Nobody but the family knew about it. Just a few people. Man, this was something the whole city, the whole neighborhood, everybody in the church knew about this. This was a public sin. And listen to me. Public sin has to be dealt with publicly. This was a scandal and it was well known. Not only that, but it was ongoing. He says there is, present tense, sexual immorality among you. We're not talking about something that we heard about that somebody did 10 years ago and it's over and done with, but we're going to get vengeance on them today. That is not the case. This was an ongoing sin in the community. He says this person presently has his father's wife. He had not repented. He had not left her. He had not come back for forgiveness. It was still going on. It had to be dealt with. 
And in fact, it had not been dealt with. He said, you're arrogant about it. Ought you not rather to let him who has, has done this be removed from among you? This is the right action, and I'm getting ahead in the lesson and, and saying this now, but this is the right action, but they hadn't done it. Understand, this is something still going on. It is ongoing, and they have not dealt with it. So you have to recognize the scandal. Recognize, bring it out. Ignoring a church scandal is like ignoring cancer, hoping that it will go away. Listen, surgery is painful. You say, Brother Lynn, are, are you encouraging? No, I, I don't, I'm not preaching this message because I know of a scandal that's going on in our church. Number one, I don't preach that way. Uh, I learned a long time ago that if you preach a sermon aimed at somebody, and I think some of you feel that I've done that, that I have preached a sermon aimed specifically at you. That's good. That means the Spirit of God is working in your heart. Because I don't do that. I learned a long time ago if I do that, Jacob, Zach, here's a lesson for you. You don't ever prepare a sermon that's specifically for people in the, co in the congregation and you're trying to solve a problem. I guarantee you if you do that, they won't show up that Sunday. Don't waste your time. They won't be there. And everybody else will be wondering, why is he preaching that? Well, I tell you why I'm preaching this. It's not because I know something you don't know. It's because I said I would preach through 1 Corinthians and I'm at chapter 5, okay? It's good biblical preaching. By the way, when you do that, David, it's good to prevent problems. Preventative medicine is the best medicine, right? It's better to teach this before anything like this happens so that when it happens, I can say, well, I told you about that back when. If you wait until the time it happens, it's probably too late. But listen, you have to... Surgery's painful. But man, if you've got cancer, it can be life-saving. The same thing is true with church discipline. It is a painful process, but it can save the life of God's church. Then, how do you handle a church scandal? Well... You react to the scandal correctly. You react correctly. Well, what does that mean? Well, you mourn. And you are arrogant. Now, that's not, that word's not highlighted in yellow, is it? I highlighted the correct response so you would recognize it. Arrogance is not the right answer. Some have said that that arrogance um, has the idea that they were ignoring it and laughing about it. It was a big joke. I think it may be more than that. I think they really were proud. We are proud that anyone can be a member of our church. I've heard that said, by the way. Anyone can be a member of our church. Let me explain something to you. Anyone can come to our church. This guy could come to our church, and I would be glad to have him because I would preach the truth to him and hope that he would repent. 
he would confess, repent, and his life would be changed. The worst drunk in our neighborhood is welcome at Faith Baptist Church. Prostitutes are welcome at Faith Baptist Church. Homosexuals are welcome to attend Faith Baptist Church and hear the preaching of the Word of God. The worst thief in Arkansas is welcome to attend our church and hear the preaching of the Word of God. But you come and be a member and we expect a changed life. See, Jesus ate with sinners. He ate with the drunks and with the prostitutes. He ate with the tax collectors. By the way, we're really quick to condemn the drunks and the prostitutes, but we're not so hard on high government officials or rich people who... But anyone can come. Jesus welcomed everyone, but He loved them too much to leave them the way they were. He expects life change. By the way, guest, I want you to understand what we're all about. We are all about life change. We welcome you to come, but we want, to hear, want you to hear the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you too much to leave you without Jesus and to leave you without salvation. Coming to Jesus is life-changing. And when you see something like this going on, the response is not to make fun of it. The response is not to be arrogant. The response is not, the right response is not to sweep it under the carpet and try to ignore it. We ought to be heartbroken. That word mourn in verse 2 is the same word that is used for mourning the death of a loved one's. It ought to break our hearts when some member of our church falls into a scandal. We ought not gloat over it. We should not make fun of them over it. We ought to weep and we ought to mourn and be so heartbroken that we feel that something has got to be done to rescue them from that situation. The response is a response of mourning. We are not pious policemen trying to, to police everyone's life. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and our heart is to rescue the fallen, to bring them back to a relationship with Jesus. We are to act then with Christ's authority. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. And he says, do that when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. That word assembled is important. When you are gathered. Now it's not the, the normal word for a church, an assembly. It is synagogue, synagogue, synagogue. It is the synagogue word. And it means this is a special time when the church has come together for a special purpose. That means business meeting. When you are officially meeting together 
and you're doing things in the authority and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I need you to understand something. We are a Baptist church, and that means we follow the Bible. By the way, I happen to believe that saying we're a Baptist church is the same as saying we're a biblical church. It's the same thing. What it means is the Bible is our all-sufficient rule for faith and practice. We go by the Bible. How do you do things? We go by the Bible. And understand, biblically, it is the congregation. It's not the pastor. It's not some board. It's not a committee. It is the congregation. Now, we have committees. We have a pastor. And I believe in strong pastoral leadership. I also believe in strong shepherd's love for the, from the pastor. But it's not the pastor who does this. I don't have the authority for this. I can't throw you out of the church. Some of you are too big. I really cannot throw you out of the church physically. I can't remove you from the membership. The congregation has to do that. By the way, you can remove yourself from the membership. When you go to another church and you join that church, you have just removed yourself from the membership. Church doesn't have to vote on it. Uh, we had a, an occasion one time in Africa where the pastor resigned and the church voted not to receive his resignation. And I, I, as missionary, I had to stand up and say, well, what are you going to do, chain him to the pulpit? Duh. Somebody joins another church. No, we're going to keep them. You can't do that. They have made the decision themselves to remove themselves from the membership. I can't do it. But by the way, the congregation can. Because the congregation, the church, the congregation has the authority from Christ Himself. You can meet in the name of Jesus and do these things by Christ's authority. Let no one say the church cannot do that. Because you can. You are authorized by Christ. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you are commanded to do that. Do it with Christ's authority. And do it publicly as a congregation. Again, when you are assembled. It's not done in a back room somewhere. We don't meet in the pastor's office and three of us decide to remove somebody from the membership because they have been involved in a scandal. No, you do it publicly. Listen, public sin requires public confession. Public sin, unconfessed, requires a public removal. It needs to be addressed in public. Otherwise, it will look like it has been swept under the carpet. Far too many church scandals have been swept under the carpet. If we are visited by such an odious thing, I pray it never happens. But if it happens, we must, church, deal with it in a public way as a congregation. And then what do you do? You turn him out, you turn him over. Turn him out, turn him over. Let me explain that. Turning him out of the membership means removing the one who's done this, the one who's caused the scandal, remove him from among you. Now that doesn't 
does not mean that I'm going to walk back or you're going to walk back and pick him up and physically take him out of the building. Galena doesn't even mean that they can't come back to church and attend services. They need to. Maybe they will come to repentance. Maybe they will confess if they continue to attend the services, but removing him means removing him from the fellowship of the church. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with these kind of people. And there's a list here. Sexually immoral, um, the, the greedy, the swindlers, the idolaters. There's, there is a number of public sins listed in the Word of God for which one might remove, be removed from the fellowship of the church. It's not just from the membership roles, it is from the fellowship of the church. Listen, you need to hear this. Fellowship in a church provides strength and encouragement, and no one should ever wish to give it up. I mentioned a couple weeks ago in our Barnabas class that every 12-step program dealing with addiction requires a, a, a help group, a, a group of people who are going through the same sort of thing to meet together for encouragement and for accountability. Listen to me. The church is the original self-help group. The church is the original accountability group. You need the church. You need the fellowship of brothers and sisters who are like you, who understand what you're going through, who can love you and who can encourage you. There is strength in fellowship. Never give it up. The problem with live stream. Now let me, let me say, I know that we have people who cannot get out in public. And I understand that. And that's who the live stream is for. It, it's not for people who just don't want to get up and come to church. If that's the case, you ought to be here. And I've said before, if you've been out in the restaurant, and if you've been in Walmart, and you've been in Home Depot, you ought to be in church. There are people who can't do that. And I understand. I'm thinking, uh, I, I, I started, I could name some people that we ought to be praying for, Gary and Barbara, and those of you who really know who I'm talking about, that's fine, I'll say no more. We've got others who are really susceptible and they can't be here. They're not going anywhere. That's what the live stream is for. But understand, if you're just staying home because you want to stay home and you think, well, I can just watch the live stream and I can be a part of the fellowship. Well, how much fellowship are you feeling right now? How much are you feeling right now? Listen to me. This fellowship is important. Seeing one another. And I can't believe I'm going to put this on recorded media that will last until Jesus comes. But someone came in this morning and I stuck my fist out and they ducked their head and sort of 
came at me like this, and I put my arm around him, gave him a hug. Sometimes you just need a hug. Sometimes you need a prayer. Sometimes you need just a soft word. And sometimes you need a reprimand. And you can find it all here. That is a part of the fellowship. And our fellowship is tremendously important. He said not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother. We're talking about a relationship. Folks, we have a relationship here. I'm commonly called Brother Lynn, and I realize that's old-fashioned. And that's okay. It expresses very well that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And church discipline removes the relationship of brotherhood from the individual who refuses to repent and must be removed. He's removed from the relationship of brothers and sisters in Christ, which is precious to us. It would be heartbreaking for me to be with you and to be considered an outcast and not a brother or sister with you. Not only that, but he goes through that whole thing and he says, don't even eat with such a one. Don, that's not talking about Sunday dinner. Oh, well, we don't invite each other to Sunday dinner much anymore. Uh, How about Friday night date night? How about Thursday night date? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the Lord's Supper. We will in this place, this very room tonight, observe what we call communion, the Lord's Supper, and being able to celebrate together the Lord's Supper is a blessing that no Christian should be willing to surrender. That's limited to the church. When you come tonight, only members of Faith Baptist Church will be invited to eat together. By the way, this is an example of that, where he says, with such an one, know not to eat. How can you discipline and, dis- and say to somebody who's not even a member of the church, well, we can't let you eat because you've done this or you've done that. Jimmy, we discipline our members And so it is limited to those we are allowed to discipline. We can't have a stranger come in. We don't know. People say, why do you practice closed communion? 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is why we do that. Listen, Brenda and I understand this very well because we were members of this church for years when we were in other countries, when we were in other cities, And it was rare for us to be here at the time we observed the Lord's Supper. And we tried to make our schedule fit your schedule so that we could be a part of the blessing of enjoying the Lord's Supper together. No Christian should voluntarily give that up. And then I said, turn him out. Turn him out of the membership. Remove him from those things. But I said, turn him over. One translation, this one says, deliver this man to Satan. Another translation or two says, turn him over to Satan. You understand that there is protection. According to this verse, there is protection in being a member of one of the Lord's churches. 
I don't know if you realize that. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. But that is a biblical concept. Now that doesn't mean nothing bad will ever happen to you. But there is a level of protection from Satan and from his activity in being a member of the church that's not available so that when you are turned out of the membership, you are, in fact, turning that person over to Satan, hoping that because of the persecution of the devil, that person will be brought back to repentance will be brought back to the fellowship of the church. By the way, no one in their right mind would ever want to be removed from the church. Well, I don't care, just remove me. Nobody who understands anything about what a church is says that. Listen to me, whether you're on the live stream or here, every Christian ought to want to be a part of the Lord, one of the Lord's churches. You're visiting and you're looking for a church. I hope you have found the church that God wants you to be a part of. But let me encourage you, whether it's here or somewhere else, make a decision. Don't just be a drifter from church to church to church. Don't just be an occasional attender of some church somewhere. If you name the name of Christ, you need to be a member of a church and you need to be serving the Lord in a church somewhere. There is a blessing to being a part of one of the Lord's churches. Then finally, I know I'm over time. Be patient with me. Respond with the right motive. Not just the right attitude, but the right motive. For one thing, our motive in conducting church discipline is not to get back at someone. It is to correct the sinner, the error of his way. The Bible says in James, He who turns the sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death. Now that is physical death that he's talking about. And cover a multitude of sins. Our hearts should be broken over a scandal. And we should have as our motivation to rescue the person who's guilty from the depth of iniquity and of shame and horror over the scandal. It should also be to cleanse the church. There's a long passage where he says, Don't you realize that this sin is like a little bit of yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough? Listen, a scandal affects everybody and brings everybody down. And if we refuse to deal with it, then we begin to take part in the guilt of that. Get rid of the yeast, the wickedness, by removing the wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh, fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. You cleanse the church, you rescue the sinner, you cleanse the church, and you recover the saint. It says, deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Notice the purpose clause, in order that, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Understand. 
Our purpose is never vengeance. The purpose of church discipline, and it should never be for the purpose of vengeance. It's always to correct the sinner, to cleanse the church. But the goal, even in Matthew, where he says, Go and speak to the brother who's offended you. It says, so that you may gain your brother. Not that you gain the answer, you gain victory in the argument, that you gain your brother. Every time conflict resolution is mentioned in the Bible, the goal of the conflict resolution is to gain your brother, to save the relationship, to save the church, to rescue a sinner. It says that he may be saved, and I like this phrase, in the day of the Lord. So I ask you this morning, are you ready for the day of the Lord? That is the day that Jesus comes. That is the day of judgment. When you stand before God, what will you say to Him? What will you say to Him about your sin? Listen, if you stand before God and you've not received Christ as Savior, you will be accountable for all of your sin. You say, well, Jesus died for that. Yes, but you refused the one who paid the price. You, refu you refused Christ. The only sin that will ever send you to hell is the sin of unbelief, refusing to believe in Jesus Christ. And when you stand before Jesus on that day and you have never received Him, you've not believed in Him, you've not called on Him for salvation, you will account for your sins on that day and you will be eternally separated from God. We will stand before Him in that day what will you say when you say, well, I never joined the church. I never followed the Lord in baptism. What will you say when he says, why did you not obey? Are you ready for the day of the Lord? And what will Jesus say to you on that day? And what are you going to do about it now?